And so we're, we're going we're gonna to jump into a brand new series, John chapter 17, and we're going to call the series Glory. And so this is uh, chapter 17 of the book of John is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. And so this, this is one of those chapters, to be quite honest with you, I've, I have skipped right over quite a bit. And, and when I first became a Christian, somebody gave me a, a, a Bible, and uh, I took it home, and, I, and I, just, I read it as much as I could. And I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and I read it. I couldn't put it down. I, I, didn't, have a, you know, a, a, I didn't have any knowledge, really, of the Bible at all. And so I wanted to know it. And I was going to this church in Milton on Wednesday nights, and they broke out into groups. And that night, they gave out uh, one-year Bible reading plans. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I was with my group, and I had this one-year Bible reading plan. I said, I, I told the group I'd read my Bible seven times that week. I read it every day. And they looked at me like, what do you mean? I was like, oh, I have this Bible here, and I read it. I read it all the way through every day. And I handed it to them, and it was just a book of John. And, uh, and, but I thought that that was the whole Bible. And so I just read it and read it and read it. And somebody asked me last month if there was any book that you could have of all, the, all 66 books, which one would you want? For me, it would be the book of John. Because, I, 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 you know, every gospel kind of has a theme. And in the book of John, it's my, it's my favorite book because it, it really, there's more red letters in that book than any other book. And in that book, John, he had a goal in that book. And his goal, you know, every gospel kind of had a different, you know, it's, it's the same story, but from four different people's perspective. It's all about this one person. And John's goal is to let everybody see not only Jesus, but where he stood in the Godhead. And the seven I am statements that Jesus makes, they're in the book of John. All these I am statements, they're my favorite. If you want to do a study in the book of John, look at that one. He would say things like, I'm the bread of life. He would say things like, I'm the door. No man comes to the Father except through me. He would say things like, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He would say things like, I'm the resurrection and the life, and I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And basically what he was saying in those seven I am statements was, I am God. And that's what got him killed. And in the book of John, though, it shows just who we're talking about. It shows the powerful person that we serve. 650 prayers in the Bible. This prayer, I think, is the most important. Today, I want to title this message, The Most, the most Powerful Prayer Ever Recorded. This is the most powerful prayer in the Bible because it's prayed by Jesus. And I think when it comes to prayer, you know, a lot of times when we talk about prayer, I can, I can feel a little, I can feel guilty oftentimes because I feel like I don't pray enough, right? It's like, it's like vegetables, eating vegetables. Anytime we talk about eating vegetables, I start feeling a little bad because I know I don't eat enough vegetables. But I think with, with prayer, every person prays. I really believe that. Whether you, you I mean, you may not carve out one hour every day to sit aside and pray in your prayer closet. But every person prays. It's just like breathing. One Jewish scholar said, Prayer, praying and breathing are very similar because everybody breathes, everybody prays. But some people are better at breathing than others. 
I took a free diving course a few years ago and went in Destin and me and a group of friends went and they trained us on how to hold our breath long enough to dive down 60 feet on one breath. And so we went through this training on how to breathe and how to train your lungs and, and expand your lungs and do deep breathing so that you on one breath can, can, can hold your breath for a few minutes. Well, there's, there's people in the world that can literally hold their breath for over 10 minutes. In prayer and breathing, you may not know it, but you pray. One Jewish scholar said praying, that the original name of God, Yahweh, was just a breath. That you can't even pronounce it. It's just breathing in and out is the name of God. And so whether it's on the way to work or you're, you're, you're driving and in your mind you're doing meditative prayer and you're thinking about what's going on throughout the day and what you have coming up that day and you're running things through your mind, it's a form of prayer. But Jesus, the disciples were dumbfounded by the way that Jesus prayed. Because they all were trained in how to pray, they all knew how to pray, but they watched Jesus and they noticed that when he prayed, things happened. And so in Matthew 6, they asked him how to pray, and we have the Lord's Prayer, which we did. A, our first series as a church was called Patterns, and we spent seven weeks on the Lord's Prayer. And so at four years, we're going we're gonna to spend a few weeks now on this prayer. But in, in, on, in the Lord's Prayer, it's really it's a pattern on how to pray. This prayer in John 17 is, was the priorities that Jesus had when he prayed. What was he praying about? What were the things that he was going to God the Father? What did Jesus' prayer life look like? That's pretty good questions. We know he got away a lot to pray. He was constantly disappearing. He was going up on a mountain. He was retreating. His, his disciples, it was kind of a, of a, of a frustration for them because they could never find him. And I, I think there's a key to that, y'all. You know, he, he knew when it was time to get away and disappear. And he, he would pray. Well, we don't really know what he was praying until really John 17 gives us a glimpse of what the life and the prayer life of Jesus looked like. And so just four things I want to give you about this prayer. We're going to spend six weeks in John in this prayer. And I want to just give you just a few things that makes this prayer so powerful. Number one is because of the person who's praying it. It's a powerful prayer because of the person who is praying it. And when Jesus prays this prayer, he starts it off with Father. Verse 1. In Matthew 6, in the Lord's Prayer, he starts it off with our Father. And I want you to see the difference here, because when he begins to ask God for things in this prayer, John 17, when he begins to ask God for, for different things, he asks for protection for his disciples, he asks for provision for his disciples, but the word that he's using when he, when he asks God for something, it's, it's, it basically means he's asking as if... Uh, as if a friend was asking another friend. And so when it says that Jesus prayed, it would be like me asking you to borrow a cup of sugar if you're my neighbor. It's basically his way of putting himself on the same level as God. And so he's not asking when we come to God, we're asking from a posture of humility, right? God the Father, we are looking up. But Jesus in this prayer is revealing to everyone around him and to us that now he is showing that he's on a level that he didn't really quite reveal to up until that point. And so this prayer is powerful because of the person who is praying it. And it's different from all the other 650 prayers because it's God praying to God. 
Isn't that strange? It's Jesus praying to his Father. And, and so number one, I think the, the, the one big thing we draw out of this is that even Jesus had to pray. That Jesus, as God, putting himself on the same level as God, even Jesus depended on prayer. Even Jesus at, the, at a crossroads in his life, in a moment, one of the most critical moments of his life, knew that he had to depend on prayer. But the other thing this reveals that I believe is so powerful about this prayer is it's Jesus letting everybody know who he really is. Because up until that point, he would do things like he would heal someone, he would heal the leper and say, go show yourself to the priest, but don't let anybody know that I did it. He would perform a miracle, he would go into a city, and he would do all these incredible things, but he didn't want nobody to know. But here he's opening up a piece of, his, uh, of truth to us that is so powerful. And this is the bedrock of our faith. This is really where the rubber meets the road. When we stand before God, it's not going to be a question of how much did we go to church. It's not going to be a question of, of any of those things or did you memorize the Apostles' Creed. I mean, all those things are good. But it's really going to be about what did you do with Jesus and who was he to you? C.S. Lewis says that you know, Jesus made some incredibly bold statements about himself. In this prayer, he puts himself on the same level as God. C.S. Lewis said, well, he's either a lunatic, <laughs> he's either a liar, or he's Lord. And as we go through this prayer, we see that every single verse of this prayer, all 26 verses, reveal to us really who Jesus is. It's a powerful prayer. The second thing, this prayer is, is so powerful because of the occasion that it's being prayed. Where this prayer fits into the timeline of Jesus and what's going on. This, this is right at the end of the upper room discourse. And so he just got through telling his disciples, preparing them. He knew that he was leaving. And so he, he, he needed to get things in order. And so at the tail end of the upper room discourse comes this prayer. My, my son, uh, Asa, he's five, and he is really into rockets right now. I mean, like, he is totally into space. And so, so we're keeping up with space. I don't know if you knew this, but last week, there was more human beings in space than ever in the history of our world. There was 14 humans in space. Crazy, right? You know, SpaceX sent four private astronauts into space, and they were there for a few days. Spectacular. And so there's this newfound, like, infatuation with space. And, uh, but I think the, the most famous space quote, right, the most famous space just, just story is that moment that Neil Armstrong stepped out of, that, out, out, of his, out of that spaceship and said, this is, right, one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. Now imagine if he would have said that after playing hopscotch with the neighborhood kids. Nobody would care. We wouldn't be talking about it. It would just be words that fell to the ground. But he said that after getting in a rocket and shooting himself to the moon and being one of the first to step out and step on the soil of another, in, in another world, another atmosphere. And because of the occasion that it was said, and that statement is now one of the most popular statements in the world. This prayer is powerful. Because of where it's at. 
and the occasion that demanded the prayer. Jesus is leaving and he knows that. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 18, as, as soon as he gets through praying this prayer, he heads to the garden and he knows that he's going to be arrested. So this is the moment where he's entering into the, the very reason that he came. He's 33, he's young, and up until this point, you know, he, he, I think in his heart, and you can hear it in the prayer, he knows that things are about to get really tough for himself, for his disciples. And so this prayer is laid right at the very forefront of one of the most trying times of the life of Jesus. In the next 24 hours, his family would betray him. In the next 24 hours, his disciples would deny him. In the next 24 hours, he would be sold. In the next 24 hours from this prayer, he would have one of the greatest moments of decision in his life where he's in the garden wondering, do I really want to do this? Lord, if there's any way to take this cup, he, he prays to his father. If, 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 you can, if there's any other way to, to make this happen, can you show me another plan? Have you ever been there before? Have you ever been in a place in your life where life hands you a cup that you don't want to drink? Is there any other way around this? Can we get plan B, C, and D? I, I, do you have a friend that I can call? Uh, is there anybody? Can we start a GoFundMe? Something. That's where Jesus was. And so this prayer is so beautiful because it's laid right at the very front of, of, of the most challenging time of Jesus' life. And so we can draw strength from it. We can draw power from it. We can see what Jesus was praying for a few hours, a few days before he was going to lay his life down. And the occasion of this prayer, y'all, the occasion of this prayer is a man who left heaven, who came to earth for a few years, who was getting ready to go down into hell, preach the gospel there, come back to earth, and then ascend back to heaven which is a journey that we're all going to make at some point. A journey from heaven, from, he from earth to heaven, right? Into eternity. A, a journey that I think our soul and our spirit tells us we're going to make. Ecclesiastes says that, that in the, on the heart of man, inside of our soul, is, eternity is written on our heart. I think if we're truly honest with each other, whether you're a Christian or not, you know you came from somewhere else. You know this world is not your home. You know the more that you read the news and see what's going on and outside the windows of this, and the walls of this church, you know that, that you're in this world, but you're not of this world. And Jesus has the passport, y'all. Okay, he, he's been there, he's done that. And in this prayer, we see what was going on in his spirit. We see what he was praying for up until a few moments of when that began to happen. And so we see that prayer is essential, especially when we're going through it. Let me read this quote to you. This is from Phillips Brooks. Don't, don't pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. It was a great moment. It was a moment that even God had to strengthen himself through prayer. And so it's powerful because of the, of the moment, because of what was re requiring this out of him. The third thing that's powerful about this prayer 
is the request that Jesus makes. I think you can tell a lot about somebody by their prayers. I think praying is private. It's something that, you know, we don't do a lot around. I mean, I don't know a whole lot of people that pray out on the streets, right? The Pharisees did that. Jesus said, don't do that. <laughs> he said that they, they pray out on the road so everybody can see. He says, when you pray, you need to go in your closet, shut the door, and pray in private. God will answer you openly. And so the prayers are a private thing. Prayers are an intimate thing. And, and Jesus shares this prayer with us. He, he gives us his heart before he was going into the most you know, troubling times of his life. And so what does he ask for? He's not worried about stuff. He's not worried about the temple. He's not even worried about, I mean, things that I think we would worry about. And in this chapter, the, the prayer is really split up in three different chunks. The first five verses, Jesus prays for himself. And so he, he pray, and so that's, I think that's a, there's a key there to that, too. That it's not a selfish thing to pray for yourself. It's the whole, you get on a plane and they're going through the, the get you scared before you take off routine. And, and showing you where all the emergency equipment is. And where the, li you know, the life jacket and the float. And, but every single plane, no matter what airline it is, they all say the same thing when it comes to the mask. Put yours on first, and then you can help the women and the children and those that are around you. And so Jesus models this in this prayer. First five verses, he prays for himself. He, he's, he's talking about how he's completed the work that his father has given him. He's talking about the disciples and how he's, he's poured into their life. The second half of this, of this prayer, he prays specifically for the disciples. He prays specifically for them. And then in the last part, he prays for the entire world. And so within these 26 verses, I don't want to read. I'm gonna, we're going to go through this whole chapter over the next few weeks. But I want to give you the four main things that are, that are in this prayer that Jesus specifically prays for. The first one is the title of this series. He prays for the glory of God. He prays for God's glory to be seen through him. He prays for, God glory, for God's glory to be seen in the disciples. And then he prays for God's glory to be seen through the church. And that's important because that tells us the number one priority over, over eight or nine times in this prayer. Jesus prays for the glory of God. And if we can look at the motives of Jesus and what really drove him, what gave him the strength, what, what was he what was he? motivated by I would say that has to be the top rank that he was making his dad proud that's what he was asking for when he says God I want you to be glorified in me that was his way of saying that I, I really want to do what you have called me and put me on this planet to do and so I think these four things are good filters for our own prayers and because sometimes I know, I don't know about you, but I can, I can get to where I, I'm praying about just selfish stuff. I can get to where I'm praying about things that maybe they're just not going to matter in eternity. You know, they're not, they're not going to matter once, once we step out of this life into the next. And, and, and so I think there's a reason why this prayer, Jesus prays for God's glory eight times and he uses that word. Because that was what he, he was pulling from a strength and a source from another world. 
And he wasn't living for the audience of the crowd. Whatever you do, if you do anything great in life, if you live by the voice of the crowd, you're going to die by the voice of the crowd. Because if you do anything, you're going to have people that love you and you're going to have people that hate you. But Jesus wasn't living for the applause. He was doing it for God's glory. He said, Lord, I just want you to be glorified. I want to be able to say, it is finished. I want to be able to complete the work that you've given me. And so I just, just I believe that every person, every person has a work that God has put you here to do. Not only are we called to, to imitate Christ, we're called to be little Christians. That's what Christian means, little Christ's. And the way that God worked through his son is going to be the way that God works through our own life and your life. And he knew that he was at the point where he could say, I've finished my work. Paul says that. He says, I've finished the course. I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. And so his, his, his number one priority at these, the last few moments of his life was God's glory. He was praying for God's glory. The second thing he prayed for was security. He, was, he wanted to make sure that his disciples were safe. You see this in the second part of the chapter. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying that their safety, that, that they're taken care of. And I want you to know, he goes on to say that even now, in this moment, in, this, in 2021, that Jesus is praying for the, for the safety of the church, for you. Now, I don't know, that just makes me, that encourages me <laughs> to know that, that we have a, a God who is who's living to intercede on your behalf right now. He is praying for your safety, for your security. That was important to him. And then the third thing, he prayed for their sanctity. He prayed that, basically, that's a, that's a, a fancy word for, he prayed that they wouldn't get mixed up with the world. He prayed for their holiness. Not a lot in there about their happiness. <laughs> I'm sorry. Not a lot in there about their happiest life. And it, he, he, he left the part out. But he did pray for their holiness. He did pray that they would come out from the world and be separate. He did pray that, that their love for each other wouldn't, wouldn't go away. That they'd be able to stay together through the trials. That they'd be able to love each other. That they would keep laying their life down for each other. He, he prayed for their sanctity. And that flowed right into the, to the, really the bow on this whole prayer. Which is he prayed for their unity. Because he knew that the shepherd was about to be taken away, him, the chief shepherd. And so he prayed that they would stay together. He prayed that they would be able to, that, that the persecution, and so, and it's, 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 it's funny to me, I was on a call with a, a pastor of a really big church out west this week, and I, I asked him, you know, what he's seen was happening in the world, especially with the church in the U.S., and he said something to me I haven't thought about. He said, you know, normally persecution grows the church. Overseas, persecution, if, if you want to see a church grow, you look at the church in China, the underground church, you look at the church in the Middle East, the more they persecute the church, the more the church would grow. But in the U.S., it seems like that's not happening. You know, I feel like things have changed, and, and I, don't, I don't really know why, but I think one of the things could be that, that when, it, when there's unity in the church, when we can cross aisles, one of the amazing things I love about 
where we are now, in Upper Room. You know, we started at the marina, but now we're, we're here at this church. Is the leadership of the Beach Church, the pastor of the Beach Church, that have opened up their doors to give us a place to meet. And that's just not really, you just don't see that much. You don't see churches working together a whole lot. And I think one of the beautiful things about what we are experiencing right now is, 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 is that two churches have come together in a time where it's really easy to say, us four and no more, right? And we're just going to, we're happy with what we got. And I don't know if we want to, but, but the unity, where there's unity, Psalm 133, God said, I'm going to command a blessing. Jesus knew that. He knew that they were going to be, that, that, that they were going to end up turning against one another. He knew that there was going to be lies. He knew that there was going to be deceit. And so he prayed in this prayer for unity, for them to stay together. And I want to read these, just a couple of verses from John, and then we're going to pray. Verse 22 through 24, this is was his posture towards the world, towards the church. I have given them the glory that you have gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I'm in them and you are in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then... When the church can get together, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That's amazing. And so one of the questions we have to ask ourselves, I had to ask myself when I read this prayer, is what is my attitude towards the world right now? Am I bitter towards the world? Am I mad towards the world? But Jesus, who was about to be given over to the world to be crucified, is praying that they would know the love that he knew. Was praying that they would know the love that he got to share with his disciples. Was praying that the disciples would be able to get that love out into the world. It's pretty powerful. Fourth thing, and then we're going we're gonna to pray. <laughs> this prayer is powerful because of the victory that it can give us today. And that's why I want to go through it together. That's why I want to take it kind of slow. We're going to go through it verse by verse. We're going to take our time through it because inside of this, this, this 26 verse prayer, chapter 17 of the book of John is, I believe, victory and strength and encouragement. And before, I, we, I don't want to give the weeks away but we're going to go through, we're going to have some incredible times together. But I want you to see what Jesus teed the prayer up with. And it's not in chapter 17. So when they first wrote the, the Gospels, they were these were letters. These weren't in chapters and, and verses. So they, that was done later. And so this is what Jesus said right before he prayed. It's actually the last verse of chapter 16. He said, this is why I'm telling you these things. This is why I'm giving you this prayer. I'm going to give you a forewarning here so that in me you can have peace. Anybody want some peace? Money can buy a lot of things, but it can't buy peace. Come on now. He says, I'm telling you these things because I want you to have peace in this world. Give me some good news, Pastor. Come on. <laughs> Give me some good news. Uh, okay, here's the good news. I am certain that in this world, <laughs> you're going to have trouble. 
but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so the victory in this prayer, I believe that as we go through this, God may not take you out of the situation you're in, but he will give you the strength to go through it. So as the band comes, I, I want us just to pray, and I, I want to pray specifically for people in here. And I know this is not going to be everybody. You just feel like you've been kind of under attack lately. You just feel discouraged. You feel like, you know, just things in your life have not gone the way you thought they would. And in this prayer, I think it's one of the most powerful prayers because there's a lot of things that Jesus could have done a few hours before he went to the cross. A lot of things he could have said. But I'm finding in life, it's, it's not the prayers on the mountaintop that we remember. <laughs> I don't think it's the prayers on the mountaintop that, that really, that, we, that, that move mountains, that make the biggest impact in our life. I, it's, it's when it takes everything you got in you to lift up your eyes. It's when praying's the hardest that it has the biggest impact. And if you are here or you're listening and it's been hard for you to pray lately, or maybe every time that you feel like you want to talk to God, you get mad. Or you feel like you don't care, he's not listening. I think it's when we're in those moments of our life, valley praying. That's what I like to call it. When we can pray in the valley, I believe that's when God will really give us victory in our life. Because anybody can pray when things are going great. Anybody can talk to God when everything is, is, is there, you know, you got everything is going the way you want it. But, but it's when you're in the valley. It's when you're facing moments like Jesus was coming up on. When you can just get out of prayer. It's those small, those just, those moments right when you feel like you're ready to give up. If you can look up. So I want you to bow your heads. I want you to think about an area of your life maybe where you feel like you're losing in. There's an area of your life where you feel like that you just, the enemy's gaining ground, it's taking peace, it's taking your strength, it's, it's, this, it's just an area of your life that, that you've, been, you've just been struggling with. And, and when we bring those things to prayer, it's all, to God in prayer, it's almost like saying, Lord, I don't have the answers it's a humble place. We're coming to God with, with things that are bigger than us. With problems that are bigger than us. With, with, with stuff that we just can't fix. And we lay them at his feet and we ask God to give us the strength to overcome them. We ask God to give us the wisdom we need to navigate through them. It's, it's prayer is a posture of humility. It's coming to God. It's bowing our heads and lifting our spirits at the same time. And so, Lord, in this moment, that's what we do. We come to you. You've modeled this for us. 
you showed us that we're one prayer away from a totally different life. We're one prayer away from an answer. We're one prayer away from peace. We're one prayer away from that solution that maybe we've been holding out from. We're one prayer away from your glory, your goodness. So Lord, we just thank you today. We ask that you would, God, that you would speak to us, that you would draw us close. Lord, we ask that you would just give us, through the power of your, your Holy Spirit, just a desire to pray. That when we wake up, we just want to talk to you. But when we wake up, we want to go to you. When, we, when we're driving down the road, we want to pray, pray first before that meeting. Before that, before that contract is signed, before that deal is done, before we drop the kids off at school, before we make that, we're going to pray first. We're going to embed it. We're going to weave it into our everyday life because we know that when we consult with you, when we go to you, that, Lord, that you give us what we need. You give us the victory in this life. So, Lord, we just thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.